0: This program has been made possible through the support of Cruise, driving cities forward through their autonomous vehicle development. Learn more about how Cruise is transforming the future of transportation through improving our cities by building safe, shared, and all electronic self driving cars. Visit them online at getcruise.com.
1: Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials,
2: or its staff.
1: Okay, well, good afternoon, everyone. This is Becky Davidson, chair of ACB's Environmental Access Committee. And I, along with my committee, um, are joined by the Transportation Committee, Chaired by Sheila Styron, and welcoming you to this afternoon's presentation. What's new at the corner? A whole bunch of stuff. So I didn't put that in the title. But anyway, um, so we're going to be talking about accessible uh, pedestrian signals, um, old and new, probably mostly new. And um, first of all, Aps accessible pedestrian signals has been a hot topic of late there's been a lot of discussion there's even been some successful litigation in New York City and also pending in Chicago and who knows what might happen in the next few months, Um, so we are have talked a lot about advocating for APS, and we will always be talking about advocating until we get what we want, which is APS at every signalized intersection in the country. Um, But in the meantime, so advocating is always gonna go on, but technology and everything else is always changing and always improving or sort of improving, so, that's kind of where we're going to start today. First of all, let me give you the opening CEC, which is 52315. Again, that is 52315. So, fortunately, we have got our panel all here. And I am really excited to be able to be on a panel again because it's been pre pandemic and before since then uh, with Lucas Frank. Lucas is Senior Consultant for Special Projects at the CNI. He's also a Certified Orientation and Mobility Specialist. So Lucas is joining us. And then we also have Matt Baker, who is Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Polara Enterprises, which is probably the premier producer or manufacturer of Uh, accessible pedestrian signals, which we'll call APS or apps, because uh, that's a lot of words to say. So um, Matt, when I asked him if there was anything specific he wanted me to say in the introduction, he said, without even uh, barely a breath, I love to see and hear how APS help people. And that's the attitude um, that he brings to this. So I'm going to start by asking Lucas um, and... Before I do, let me say um, I'm going to ask Sheila to watch for raised hands, and I want to also say thank you to Sheila, our host, our Zoom host, and Tyson, who is our streamer. We don't do this without you guys, so we're really happy to have you here and your expertise. So let me start again with Lucas. Um, I'm just kind of curious, from your perspective as someone who works with blind pedestrians, um, what are you seeing at intersections as you travel around and, and work with people in different environments um, in terms of signalization and technology and those kinds of things? And if you want to give a little background about, um, you know, your experience with intersection design and all that, feel free. So I'll, let, I'll start with you, Lucas.
2: Thanks, Beck. It's good to see I see some names in the audience I recognize, and of course I recognize Matt. And he's on the top of a mountaintop overlooking the Golden Gate Bridge there, and his background, so he looks very stylish. I'm um, <laughs> just in my office. Uh, the uh, uh, my my background as I'm an OM specialist. My certification is currently lapsed, so I just in truth in advertising, but I'll work, I'm working on getting it back. You've
1: um, got the experience though. <laughs> that I have.
2: Um, the uh, I became involved in a, a, a access work uh, probably a little over 25 years ago. Began to see ch- the changes of co- computerization hitting the street, and uh, and people becoming more or less outclassed by uh, the technology on the corner. Uh, you know, in the my early days in in O it was you know very much the light changing just every 30 seconds or so as as the uh, the gears within the controllers changed and as computerization really hit the street in the 80s and, and it's developed ever since. Uh, but the big change now, of course, is quiet cars, which just adds to the complexity of intersection analysis. Uh, and most recently, uh, certainly in New York City, uh, you know, travel has been curtailed for a while. I'm back on the road now uh, and, and getting about and, and I'm seeing the same thing in other places, but New York City in particular, uh, personal, mobility be- vehicles, per- personal mobility vehicles, electric personal mobility vehicles, electric bicycles, scooters, uh, other s- silent modes of, of travel, uh, are are making the the street crossing task much more complex, um, and that's that's another huge concern. In terms of of APS installation, I'm I'm happy to say that I see more and more intersections that are equipped with APS. Um, and I'm also, my impression is beginning to see some consistency in installation. The, the old style cuckoo chirp overhead speaker type of, of signalization had a lot of weaknesses, but one's, one strength was that they were not installation sensitive. You could put them anywhere and you could hear them a block away. The new ones uh, are much more individualized and personal in terms of how they deliver street crossing information they the speaker sound emanates from a a push button housing that should be very close to the departure point when it's well situated by the same token when it's not well situated it becomes quite difficult and in the early days and matt may uh, have his own perspective on this uh, in the early days of APS installation they were just slapping stuff up on poles all over the place but regulation and and uh uh, insistence on quality design by by blind and visually impaired people, as well as by mobility specialists and traffic engineers themselves, has made for better installation to a degree. We've still got a long ways to go in terms of standardization, but we're on the way there also in regulation. So uh, overall, I would say we're making headway. At the same time, the odds are, are growing against us because of the complexity of, of intersection design and because of quiet vehicles and now electric personal mobility uh, vehicles. So every time we take a step forward, you, some, something else changes and we kind of break even, but uh, but I'm encouraged by the willingness of uh, uh, the government, meaning federal highways to consider access and, and codifying uh, quality installation in, in new regulation.
1: Great, okay. Um, Matt, can you talk, Luke, Lucas already kind of started that. Can you talk a little bit about what Accessi- accessible pedestrian signals are now and kind of a little bit of history. Um, I think a lot of us remember the cuckoo chirps and there are still some places where you can find one or you can hear one. Um, neighborhoods didn't like them, which was part of the problem. But anyway, Matt, if you'd like to talk a little bit more about accessible pedestrian signals and your work with Polera, and then we'll get into some specifics.
3: Sure, sounds good. And uh, just echo what Lucas said, "I mean, it's been uh, stepping forward and breaking even. Um, there's been a lot of great input from different mobility groups and and accessibility groups, and we're we're excited to kind of team up with even even you as ACB to get your feedback. Uh, we can't wait till the next in-person show, so that we can have our product out and get your feedback, um, especially with some of the." advances that have been made in the last couple of years Um, you know moving from the cuckoo and chirp you know they've gone to the rapid percussive sound Uh, if the APS are separated by um, 10 feet then the uh, walk sound is supposed to be the rapid percussive sound no more cuckoo and chirp and then if they're for example in New York City if you end up with two on a pole because of the infrastructure then um, you have the speech message. So when you hold down your hand on that button for more than a second, it can tell you uh, wait to cross Broadway at main, wait. And then when the walk sign comes on, it'll say um, Broadway walk sign is on the cross Broadway. So there's been uh, those changes in the last few years. Um, and then, uh, you know, whenever you're ready, we can talk about some of the other fun advances now with smartphones and technology that have have, uh, come into play in the last couple of years, especially with um, the uh, addition of Bluetooth into the APS button, so that there is communication capability between the pedestrian and and the button. So lots of new things. Um, We, uh, again, really value your feedback on what's important to you, what can help. And so uh, any time today or later on, if anyone has any suggestions, I'm happy to, to look at those and, and see if we can work them with them because really it's about, you know, making it work best for you. Um, we are finding some interesting things in the in the last year, obviously with COVID too. Um, we've added some touchless capability and and uh, we didn't really expect this, but when we were in San Francisco, we did a, a film with Lighthouse of the Blind on APS. And we also at the same time had um, – some of the um, users there walk by our touchless button and because they had low vision, they were able to still kind of uh, see the pole and brush their shoulder within a few inches of our button and it actually would actuate without them touching it. So Mm -hmm. there's some things that we didn't expect and learn from by, you know, putting the touchless in as a supplement, you know, it, it still has all the regular features of an APS, but as a supplement. So... Um, we're, we're excited to continue to work with you and make this product as user friendly as possible. And I guess what I was going to mention, you know, is that in the last year, there's been more fatalities, more pedestrian fatalities. And one thing that I believe is contributing, um, you know, there's many factors, but there's definitely distracted pedestrians now, right. With uh, their smartphones and devices, not necessarily paying attention. So we hope that that's a good advocate for agencies to put these in for everybody, which obviously then will benefit the visually impaired. But if they take the approach of, you know what, when someone hears that voice saying walk sign is on and they're on their phone, um, not paying attention, they're gonna at least have a better chance of stepping off the curb on time and safely and, and, and paying attention while they're crossing the street. So we hope that that will help. Um, with agencies moving forward and deploying more APS, so that's our hope.
1: Great, it's ours too. Um, I'm going to throw this out to both of you because I'm not sure um, who might want to to answer it. But there are some things that that have come up that we're wondering if they're if you're in the process of making them accessible. Um, in the manual for uniform traffic control devices, the MUTCD, um, there is discussion of things like hybrid beacons and rapidly flashing beacons. And probably, especially if you live in New York City, what they're dealing with is um, the leading pedestrian intervals. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you guys wanna talk about some of those things, especially the leading pedestrian intervals, because they're, they're becoming more and more common.
2: I'll start us off there just for a second, and then hand off to Matt. Um, and by mm-hmm. the way, if if you can't tell us apart, I'm the one with the New York accent. Uh, <laughs> the
3: uh, <laughs> I, I thought you're going to say the one with less hair, but
2: hey. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, um, yeah, so a leading pedestrian interval is a great great thing. Uh, the, the problem uh, has been uh, that. Uh, in a, in the Vision Zero quest in in New York City, the the drive to uh, put pedestrian f- drop f- pedestrian fatalities uh, down to zero, which so far has gone in the opposite direction, I think, but they're still working on it. Um, the um, uh, The goal was that the p- of course New York is unusual in that it has no uh, no right turn on red for most of most of the city. Um, which is a great advantage for pedestrians anyway. But one of the things that that happens is when the light does turn green and the cars and the pedestrians get the the green indication at the same time, the cars are quite aggressive. People who are blind or visually impaired might not be quite as quick as at stepping off the curb. In fact, we know that there's a delay of something like six seconds there between the onset of the green interval and the onset when the uh, blind pedestrian steps off the street. That's research that was done years ago by uh, uh, Janet Barlow and, and BZ Benson, um, the, uh, that a uh, blind pedestrian can of gets stuck on the, cor- on the corner. Any pedestrian actually can get stuck on the corner as cars start whipping right around that corner so people can't get off the curb. They're, they're cut off by the cars. So the design of a leading pedestrian interval is that the pedestrian indication comes on uh, as the, the walking uh, person figure comes on usually around three seconds before the green light comes on for the vehicle. So to give the pedestrians a head start off the curb um, so so that they have access to the street crossing for the maximum amount of time. Of course, the problem is is that if there is no accessible pedestrian signal associated with that leading pedestrian interval, then when the pedestrian indication comes on, the blind pedestrian doesn't know it until the vehicle begins to move and at that point to add salt to the wound the the driver is quite sure at that point that the pedestrian is not intending to go because they did not go in the, after the initial indication and so that driver is likely to be even more aggressive and the person the blind pedestrian or visually impaired pedestrian is likely to be uh, even more pinned on that corner. So it, it seems quite logical to us of us in the advocacy side of the equation to say that, you know, well, that leading pedestrian intervals are terrific. The only All you need to do is make them accessible to people who are blind or visually impaired and we're, we're good to go. And that seems obvious. There, however, there is evidence that, that LPIs reduce the conflicts, the incidents between sighted pedestrians and vehicles. And so the counter argument is, yeah, that's all well and good about these blind folks, but they never cross streets anyway. And we should uh, install uh, LPIs all over the place to save everybody else the, you know, the risk, which is just not right. Um, and so the, the advocacy groups within New York City uh, and nationally in terms of uh, struggling to write regulations that are, are, will become the next edition of the manual that you spoke of, Becky, have advocated strongly, as uh, strongly as we can. And I, you know, I, I would encourage people to continue to do that, even though the comment period on the MUTCD is over, if a whole lot of blind people write to federal highways and say, wherever we put in a leading pedestrian interval, there must be an accessible pedestrian signal, I, even though it's that comment period is closed I don't think they would ignore that so I think there's room for advocacy here to, for equal access to signal information especially when there's an LPI or leading pedestrian interval I'm sorry maybe. I
1: just want to jump in here and say we had a presentation on Sunday from um, Lee Sham, Leah Sham from Vision Zero and um, this particular issue had not come up. And I think that Vision Zero can be a really strong ally with us if we make sure that they understand what we need and why we need it um, in order for them it. to
2: reach their goal. They just named it backwards.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I agree on the Vision Zero side, just to point out that um, there's been some great goals and objectives come out from them and also the federal highway they have this steps program safety safe transportation for every pedestrian and they have these safety countermeasures which uh, you mentioned RFBs and hybrid beacons. Also the LPIs are part of that. but we are struggling with vision zero, for example. I've tried to contact Lear and others to kind of advocate hey when you're talking about these goals, you you know, you really want to put in uh, the, the APS as, as part of that safety countermeasure and the same thing with um, the federal highway. The federal highway at least have mentioned um, when you do an RFB to that it's good to put in an, an accessible pedestrian signal um, and on the LPIs again, it's just I think there's one little mention in there, but it's not really strongly advocated. So Unfortunately, you know Lucas and I get to sit in on some of these uh, national traffic committees, and honestly, uh, you know it costs nothing to put in an LPI. It's a programming change at the intersection. So they look at that as a big win, right? It's uh, great for um, reducing fatalities for the sighted pedestrians. but again, as we've talked about, it's just not good for the visually impaired and but you know the APS costs money so, that's their pushback on it. So we're all trying and, and this New York City lawsuit is kind of exposing some of that, but on a national level, anything that you all can do to advocate with Vision Zero and the Federal Highway is, is really good because it just, uh, it's just it's a challenge. In fact, I had a conversation with Scott Winley the other day, um, the US Access Board, because I, I think uh, our new transportation secretary Um, And the the government put out a a plan to, you know, look at ways to help uh, underserved individuals, you know, when it comes to pedestrian challenges. And um, I read the document and nowhere was mentioned uh, the visually impaired as being part of that group, you know, having um, solutions and and help for them. It was all based on poverty and race and, and other factors and, and uh, there was no mention of you know other uh, groups of people. So I was kind of disappointed in that. So
4: yeah. there's
3: still a lot of work to be done there with it, I guess is what I'm saying.
1: We've been working with America Walks too, and they're, they have an initiative um, similar to what you were just describing. Um, and of course, the MUTCD comments that, that Lucas referred to, um, there were a lot of strong comments submitted and one of the one of the things that we really want them to do is quit suggesting APSs and require them. Um, that that would make a lot of difference. And we're hoping that now that the Department of Justice is involved in the Chicago case and there's been court action in the New York case, um, that we can get get somewhere with that. We also though have a lot of people who live, in suburbs and rural areas where, you know, a lot of of what we tend to be thinking about and when we think about this is is more urban areas. Um, Are you seeing any more um, APS, uh, any more consideration of this in more suburban and rural areas?
3: I am because I see, you know, we have, um, you know, our distributors are all over the U.S. and they work with the traffic agencies. And um, we have, uh, you know, from Polara, we have some regional sales managers that go out and do these visits with uh, our distributors and these agencies. And yes, uh, we are seeing an increase of, of them being more willing to put them out in the neighborhoods and, and, and where they're needed to provide, you know, that equity. Um, so I'm very pleased with that. There's still a few agencies that are kind of holding out, waiting for the access board to you know, do their final ruling, which we're very much hoping for sooner than later um, because that'll obviously put some teeth behind this even though it's been an ADA requirement for years and the FHWA has stated that, you know, that's kind of the benchmark. Um, we do unfortunately have some traffic agencies still push back against it and say, well, we're not going to do it till we have to. So, but again, we are seeing an increase. I, I will say that there are more agencies trying them, putting them in, responding to requests. So that's another thing I encourage is obviously to request the equipment whenever uh, you need it for a certain route that you travel. On our website, um, we actually have under what is an APS, we have a button you can push that uh, can generate a, a kind of a template that you can send into the engineering, traffic engineering department, stating that you, who you are and that you travel this route and you'd like to have that accessible equipment installed and they're supposed to, you know, respond to you, you know, when you do that request. So, um, I do see an improvement.
1: What is your website just so people have that? That's pretty cool.
3: That's Pilara.com, polara.com, p o l a r a.com and then um, you can scroll down and there's uh, uh, an area called what is an APS and and how to request an APS.
1: Okay, that's good to know. Um,
2: Okay. I would. I'd was, like to just blow in on this one just for a second too. Please do. You know the, Matt's wrong. No, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the um, no, he's not. He's quite right. But the, uh, you know, it's interesting that the focus up until you raised that question back was on cities and what's happening in New York City, but. Um, Certainly my and I think a lot of our initial concern about access to, to street crossing information came out of the suburbs because people live on these uh, in, in a development uh, which and along an arterial roadway and they can catch a bus going into town but can't get off can't get across the street coming back. It's a very, very common issue. And uh, lack of
1: sidewalks too.
2: As well yep. as lack of sidewalks absolutely. So, you know, cities in some ways you know downtown areas of cities uh, with more balanced uh, <clears throat> predictable traffic flows are often easier from a, a, a traffic judgment standpoint than than arterial roadways and suburbs so certainly that's key
1: yeah and you know there is quite a bit of there was a lot of discussion of that when we were talking about the MUTCD and and people's concerns for transportation and Sheila's and my committees, you know, deal with this all the time. So uh, I'm glad that you brought that up as well, um, Matt. I'm going to ask you to just talk a little bit about the hybrid beacons and the rapidly, what is that? the rapidly flashing beacons? Thank what you. are they, and what are they? What are they supposed to do?
3: Sure. So well, let's just go with the RRFB, rapid rectangular flashing beacons. Or rectangular, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> they, um, they, you know, in the studies of the fatalities in the last couple of years, there's been a very high percentage at mid-block uh, crossings and especially, you know, uh, during the evening hours. So um, an RR, just to put this in perspective, if you want to build a, a new traffic intersection with all the traffic lights and the crossings and everything, they're upwards of a quarter of a million to $400,000. So very expensive. Um, whereas an RRFB is around between six and $20,000 to install uh, on a mid block. And that, in you know, many times those mid blocks don't have access to power. The, the nice thing about technology evolving is um, in many, many places you can use solar solar, there will be enough solar power to, to generate uh, and to power uh, that equipment. So um, those rapid flashing beacons, um, you know, are designed generally to go in a mid block crossing um, and the pedestrian will have some kind of actuation device, whether it's a regular push button or an audible information device, which the MUTCD is now calling our equipment that goes on those systems and um, when you press that you know the yellow lights flash and there is a message that says yellow lights are flashing it's a warning device though and that the challenge like what happened in florida they had a couple of fatalities going on uh, us-1 and so forth uh, because people felt too safe with that you know they didn't wait for the traffic so florida dot is kind of changing that message saying you know, wait for traffic, then cross kind of thing. And so there's, again, discussions on what's the right message, messaging to put on that. Um, The FHWA kind of moved away from past messaging and just said, yellow lights are flashing, telling you exactly, you know, what's happening and then it's your choice to cross. Um, We've been able to add an audible information device like an APS. Um, It is because it's not a controlled crossing, meaning there's no red light, there's no, Um, pedestrian signal to tell a pedestrian when the walk and don't walk are on, this is a warning device. So we're not allowed to have a vibrating button or say walk sign is on as an audible indication. What we do say is, you know, yellow lights are flashing when that um, button is pushed. Uh, We've added touchless detection to that. So pedestrians can also wave at it and get the same response. but it's very limited in its information as far as uh, there's no obviously walk and don't walk information there. It's strictly letting you know that the lights are flashing. You need to listen for the traffic and do your best to still cross um, appropriately. But they're designed, they're they're very effective um, with reducing um, pedestrian fatalities, um, and especially too at night, things flash pretty pretty brightly and uh, get attention. The uh, hybrid beacon is um, kind of like a combination of a traffic light and the RFB. Again, they can go at mid-block crossings, but they're a stronger device. They are a controlled crossing, meaning there's um, red lights and uh, amber lights there, and uh, the red lights will flash. And then when uh, the pedestrian uh, walk interval comes on, the uh, lights will go solid. And then after appropriate amount of um, pedestrian clearance time, it will flash again. And there's different signs that come with these hybrid beacons. Some will say, you know, stop at red light, proceed after stopping if flashing. Um, and some will just be straight out, you're stopping until the red lights are completely done and, and the uh, signal is dark. But that that is a controlled crossing and they have very good success, um, again, with uh, protecting somewhat pedestrians and getting the car's attention. And you can put a full accessible pedestrian signal on that. So that's very helpful as well. Yeah. Um, but their cost is significantly higher. It's almost similar to the cost of a an intersection probably half because you're only doing you know a, a crossing you're not doing a four-way that's road yeah, definitely wrong. But, uh, they know work, just they to work very well whoops somebody needs to mute someone's got some recipe going <laughs> <laughs> that's good actually making yeah, me good. hungry
1: <laughs> um with the rrfb do drivers know what that yellow light means
3: they're supposed to um <laughs> you know, they I it, sometimes
1: it, don't, they don't know what red lights mean either but that's that's a whole other that's a whole other discussion okay into, we have an
0: interesting any
2: comments si- we have an interesting situation going on in morristown new jersey <laughs> which is where the seeing eye is located right now we have a major intersection that is along one of our key training routes the elm street route um and th- that were, there was a little shopping mall there that had lots of, of inexpensive restaurants and a natural food store there. And that has been completely torn down and a huge office complex is going out and they're putting a roundabout in right in the middle of Morris. Oh. Um, and so we got involved in that, of course. We wanted to be sure that it didn't have too big of an impact on our training routes and they've, they've accommodated us there. But the rest of that intersection, uh, which is Morris Street and Spring Street, Uh, was completely inaccessible. Nobody in their right mind, you know, with with visual impairments tried to cross there. So the bigger goal was let's make that entire intersection accessible if we're going to put in a roundabout and make it actually easier to get across to that shopping new shopping center than it was before. And so the Seeing Eye has been involved in discussions with the town and the the traffic engineers about how to go about doing that, where they're going to put in uh, rectangular rapid flashing beacons, where they're going to put in what are the, the pedestrian hybrid beacons, which are also called hawk signals for some reason, I've never figured out. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, it's been a fascinating discussion. And I think we're just about a month away from, from actual see, actually seeing some progress there. I thought they just started, but they haven't. So it's, we'll, be, we'll be back with an updated report.
1: Definitely Saturday. we'll wanna know. Yeah, Definitely we'll wanna know. All right, Sheila, let's let's stop and see if people have questions and would if have you seen any raised hands? Yes, ma'am. Okay, are you guys ready to take questions?
2: Yes, I'll give to Matt.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Sheila Sheila, I think you were giving instructions when my computer dropped about how to no, raise hands. No, I haven't,
5: but it's okay. I can I, I was telling you guys to raise your hand. Oh, oh,
4: okay. <laughs> I was trying. I really was.
1: I
6: know you are. Um, If you're on a PC, to raise your hand is alt Y. If you're on a Mac, it is option Y. If you're on a smartphone, it is on the face of your screen. And if you're on the landline, it is star nine. And Sheila, would you give
1: us a like six or seven minute warning? I want to make sure Matt can talk about his, the Polara app. Um, and then I have to give the CEU code too. So,
4: yes, ma'am. If you can give us a five-minute
1: warning, that would be great. Yes, ma'am. All right, Francine. Um, so I have a comment. Um, I've recently and um, experienced
5: uh, an audio pe- audible pedestrian signal. Um, amazingly enough, it was in front of a school for the blind, and it was put in by the city, and they have. You the button you push, and it says, please wait to cross, da-da-da-da-da, but it's a constant beep. There's no indication when it's no longer safe to be walking, um, and it, the, the beep doesn't change. There's no, you know, there's, so you don't know how long you really have to get across the street, and the traffic on that street, they use it for a drag strip, and um <laughs> It's it's very unnerving when you're trying to cross the street because, I mean, you know when to start, but you don't know when you're no longer safe. And if you don't walk real fast, or you've got a mobility issue, and you can't walk fast, you're a sitting duck. And
3: Christine, could you tell us where this is?
5: It, it's in Philadelphia.
3: Um, any more details? Like, do you happen to know the street? Yes, it's, Mal- it?
5: yeah, it's Malvern Avenue. Malvern. Yes, Malvern Avenue. It's in front of the Overbrook School for the Blind. Okay. And the city put it in unbeknownst to the school. They decided whether they're gonna gonna go and do it. They thought they would, and I, it's good that they did it but they certainly didn't do, they didn't do it right. That's for sure. And I was with a mobility instructor there and he said, there's no, it it flashes, you know, visually when it's no longer safe, but in front of a blind school that doesn't do us a whole lot of good.
3: it Francine, definitely sounds like it's not operating correctly or programmed correctly.
2: Francine, I'm relatively close to Philadelphia. If, if you uh, give your information to Becky or someone, I, I'll come down there and take a look at it, with meet you there and take a look at it with you.
1: Okay. Awesome.
2: You're Thank the you. man. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Do I, I, my email address is lfrank at seeingi.org, but Becky, you can, can you help uh, get Francine that information somehow?
1: Yeah, Francine, um, I'll give you my email address. Other people can use it too. It's Becky B as in boy one one two zero at gmail.com. Be- Becky Boy. Be- Becky B1120 be- at gmail.com. At gmail.com. Okay. Thank you, Becky. Okay. All right. Oh, Sean.
0: <laughs> um, so two things. One, um, in I'm in Columbus, Ohio, and we had a traffic engineer who was fantastic, and he would get signals just about anywhere you wanted. He's retired. We now have somebody else who doesn't Mm. seem terribly interested in getting accessible signals. So I'm wondering uh, just from a general advocacy step where to go from here. Second part of my question is one concern someone brought to me about the fast tick sound that APSs are currently using is that they were concerned it might be a problem for people with combat PTSD flashbacks that it might sound too much like a machine gun. And so I'm wondering if MUTCD or anything is has considered that or some kind of an alternative possibility, if that's an issue for someone. Thank you.
3: It's a great comment and question and I've heard that as well. And um, the good news is we, we do see a lot of agencies, uh, how do I say this, disregard the MUTCD requirement and use the speech message uh, for that reason. In fact, the city of Austin, Texas did that because of the feedback they got from veterans so um, it's pretty easy to to switch you know the APS from at least 10 years ago till now have that capability to do speech messages um, as far as the MUTCD I mean you know revert I'll revert back to Lucas but you know Janet and Beezy and others have done the studies and and um, Lucas can talk more about why that's there
2: yeah I'd be happy to and uh, the 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 studies indicated that for, for people with, with, with hearing losses, um, the ability to distinguish sound precisely, things like names, uh, in like street names, in noise is really not easy. Um, and so the preference is for the rapid tick sound. Uh, there is flexibility within the devices uh, in terms of the, the, the actual frequency of the rapid tick is not uh, all that closely spelled out, just the, the repetition rate. So that the uh, sound could be chose selected that is less metallic. I think though too, there's something of a meme going on here where the, the idea that, oh, it sounds like a machine gun. And so that, 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 that in and of itself, if people have PTSD think oh, it sounds like a machine gun maybe we could change the meme to, it sounds like a a robot woodpecker, you know? (laughs) So so (laughs) people are not terrified of woodpeckers as a general rule. Um, But the, the fact of the matter is, is that the reason that sound was chosen as the basic sound, there are a lot of exceptions to that. For example, if you have a signal where two devices are on one pole, then just having a rapid tick isn't gonna do the trick. And there's a requirement that they use speech and say, uh, washington street walk signed is on to cross washington um but so the the problem with the speech message is that uh although it's it's very popular it uh, uh for people with with any degree of hearing loss particularly in noise it can be can be really indistinct whereas the rapid tick penetrates that was the the basis for that That
6: was the thinking yeah yeah very
2: yeah. yeah.
6: okay so Hi, Lucas, Frank, this is Terry Hedgebeth and Quaker Oatmeal.
2: Hey, Terry, great to hear you.
6: <laughs> and hi, Matt, great presentation. First thing, I once the COVID hit, uh, starting around the end of March, there is an intersection near my house at Forty Fourth <clears> Street in <throat> Knox. And uh, especially, uh, I don't walk quite as much right now due to medical reasons. Uh, I still do walk, though, uh, two miles instead of four. Uh, you know per three or four times a week sometimes five anyway this intersection is at knox road and 44th street and i started working with our city of phoenix traffic people last march um, and they were so excited and receptive and they had some older ones that were cuckoo tweet tweet in the storage but uh, they would see about getting those and i pursued them Relentlessly, until around the beginning of October, and I gave up. And that's when they told me that, well, we're just not really going to do that at this time because we don't want to put, you know, old equipment in. That's um, we we'd rather wait until we can get it into the budget and buy, you know, buy the updated equipment. Mind you, the intersection does not have updated equipment for sighted people. It's it's all older. Um, so anyway, I've had a hard time with them and. I haven't contacted them since probably, the last time was in November. And I just get the same uh, message from them. Oh, well, sorry. So I'm glad to hear about the Polaris.com website because I will go there and um, look for that link you mentioned, Matt. And uh, I guess you'd call it create a ticket. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, you uh, have ideas.
3: Hmm? I'm looking at that intersection now on Google Earth you're right. There's nothing there. Um, sometimes these are old images, but, um, no, that's accurate. okay. So what I know the, the interesting news is, is, um, two weeks ago, my regional manager went out to Phoenix and met with them. And, um, they, they had, they've had a contract to, to buy that equipment for years. And I guess there was a budget freeze on. That's what they told. So not knowing what you've just told me, you know, I, I can tell you that they told um, us that they were in a budget freeze. Now they're out, and they actually just placed an order for, you know, a hundred to two hundred uh, APS newer buttons. So, oh, okay. if you, uh, you oh, know, willing, if you're willing to ping them one more time and say, "I,
0: oh,
6: you I you. hear
3: you're getting the new buttons," wow. um, maybe you'll get lucky.
6: <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely.
3: Cool.
6: Absolutely. <laughs> Um, and then the other thing I wanted to just to comment on the uh, blind pedestrian in Florida that was injured, be it critically or whatever, I don't know. And so that's a reason for not uh, letting people who are blind know the full information about walk, don't walk, and that kind of thing. You know what I say to that? If they, let's, let's employ the same logic with sighted drivers. Since there's been a crash at a nurse section, we need to disable the lights. That is the most ridiculous kind of logic in my mind. <laughs>
2: okay, yes. thank you. But nowadays, I might say put in a roundabout, that wouldn't help
7: us at all.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
7: <laughs> yeah, Okay. okay. Oh, California. Oh,
1: yeah, I thought it might be Gene.
7: Yeah, um, I have this, just a few comments and then the question. Um, the comments getting back to the talking uh, walk announcement versus the rapid tick sound. Um, I think some of the other points that, uh, that led up to these um, guidelines and so forth in the manual is that internationally, that is a sound that is used. So for predictability as to where you travel, um, the, uh, and if I have firsthand experience and I've seen others there is that as uh, Lucas stated, That can cut through a lot of the uh, sound in the ambient noise in the road. But you know what? A lot of uh, advocates who are supporting the walk announcement forget that there are people too with um, the English is not their first language and this rapid tick sound being universal. It's then giving people with visual impairments that are in this country, uh, that English is not their second language and uh, that uh, uh, something that they are not have to compete with or um, be challenged by the, the difference in language. Um, but a lot of people are wanting the, the walk in, uh, that walk announcement and it's using it more as a beacon to get across the intersection, just like they want the countdown. And the research shows that there's issues of masking sounds there. And in my community, um, Caltrans, uh, the California Department of Transportation worked with the local Department of Transportation, which is very supportive, the local transportation department for APSs. Uh, going back to 1989, they start putting them in. Which is um, your
3: community? So, Sorry, I just wanted to know.
7: I'm, I reside in Sacramento County okay. of, uh, in California. Um, and it's, uh, it's, uh, the county Department of Transportation is super, super supportive. Uh, but they have put in a hawk signal. And with Caltrans wanted this just recently and looking at it. And, and I guess the comment is because it's a six lane road that you're crossing there. Um, the buy-in has been cranked up so that you can hear it, uh, the message because it's a, it says uh, twice, you know, uh, about it that it's a flashing yellow light um, message that um, you can hear it a few blocks away, but because it's, the idea is because they've heard, let's make it act as a beacon to help you get across, um, and, and therefore um, there's a lot of ambient noise there. Thank goodness that it's not so much residential. And, and so I'm saying that the, um, I think people need to understand or uh, ask for a beaconing device if there's justification rather than having the walk phase being used as a beaconing device uh, to get you across. Therefore, um, we wouldn't have as much of the ambient uh, noise. And your newer device, Matt, I believe, has gone back, to which I've really been pleased to see that you've had what your earlier one had, where you have a, a shield that you can divert the sound from one side so it's um, rather than coming down from two sides. In a, and I hope that feature continues because that will help reduce the noise and therefore the sound can be thrown toward the, uh, in the street. And I guess the, those are comments generally rambling, but I was under the belief that the hawk signals do not have a pedestrian head, and that's the reason that it can't really announce um, that is that you got the walk phase to cross. Um, and I would like clarification and I'm pleased to and I hope it continues that despite the touch free features and using the apps that we do not give up the manual push button uh, feature. Uh, because not everyone has a smartphone, yep, um, and, and so that's not So I got a lot there. Thank you. It's very interesting Thanks. hearing your comments, both of you.
2: Thanks, Gene. Um, about the 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 hawk <laughs> signal and the pedestrian uh, uh, accommodations or or ped heads and that type of stuff at hawk signals. Um, you know, it's called the pedestrian hybrid beacon. And beacons and signals are different technically from a traffic engineer's point of view. Beacons are dark unless they're activated. Think of a signal out in front of a fire station. We talk colloquially as it's a signal, but from a traffic engineer's perspective, that's a beacon. And the reason it's a beacon is because it doesn't flash until there's a fire and the fire engines need to come out. And then all the lights go off to stop the traffic so the fire engines can get out. So these things are called pedestrian hybrid beacons. They are out. There's one in Morristown now, and there'll be more when the roundabout comes. but they are out You just drive through them as if there's nothing there until a pedestrian hits the push button. Then what happens is the thing comes to life. And the first thing it does and is the, for the traffic is it starts flashing yellow lights. And it does that for several seconds. Then it goes to a solid red light for the traffic. Red lights are powerful. If it just went to red from nothing, nobody would stop because nobody would have the expectation. So the flashing yellow lights that started off are to draw the driver's attention to something happening. Then it goes red. And at that point, if there is, if there are, and there usually are, because it is a pedestrian hybrid beacon, it's designed to serve pedestrians. At that point, a ped head comes up and says, and you have a visual walk display and you could very easily have an APS associated with that. Uh, And the walk sign would come on for the standard seven seconds or whatever is calculated. Then a flashing don't walk and you're across the street or to an island or whatever the goal is at that particular crossing. Uh, In the meantime, once the walk indication is off and it's into the flashing don't walk, the lights for the cars go to a flashing red light. So it goes from being a solid red light, like don't go to a flashing red light, which tells the drivers go if it's safe, stop and go. So the idea, is that once the pedestrian is out of danger, the traffic can stop and go, and then the signal goes out again, and there is nothing there from the driver's perspective. So there is, because it's a pedestrian hybrid beacon, there, there is always a pedestrian signal there. There may or may not be an APS. Matt, did I get it's that just, right, is your understanding? Yeah.
3: <laughs> yes, exactly right, It's uh, it's supposed to be, you know, a controlled crossing versus the RRFB, the rectangular rapid flashing beacon, which is a straight warning device where there, it's not a controlled crossing, there's no red light, it's just warning flashes. So um, that's the, the big difference between the two. You know, one is definitely for pedestrians and to control the traffic with the red lights and the other is a warning system.
2: But it is also the, the RRFB or rectangular, rapid flashing beacon is also a beacon, meaning that it is blank. It doesn't do nothing until a pedestrian pushes the button. Right.
4: This is Sheila Styron, and I think I have a link that was for a panelist, which I'm not supposed to have, so I'm not able to raise my hand, but I very much like to comment on this. I started out listening on the radio and then came into the thing in the middle and think I made a little noise because I didn't realize I was a panelist. Was but a I have two of these um, beacons in my commute to and from work. And it uh, one of them, people stop very well, but the one directly across from where I work on Main Street in Kansas City, just south of 37th, since you're so good at pulling these things up, Matt, Almost every day, a car or two drives through when I know it's my turn. This is a, a pedestrian, um, uh, you know, the combination that's a beacon with the pedestrian feature. And I, every day, I the, the only thing that keeps me sane is I really, really do enjoy flipping people off and swearing at them every morning. <laughs> because they do not stop, you know? And and I feel fairly safe because there's no cross traffic, it's just traffic going in front of me because it is south of the intersection. But um, I I like the idea of these because I have less traffic to listen for, but I don't know how well drivers understand them because of the amount of people who drive through it, that particular one that I need to use, thank you.
3: Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Um... Is it the one by the Whole Person Building? That's and,
4: right. That's where I work.
3: <laughs> okay. So, so yes, that situation. is. That is wow. I'm I'm amazed. People are blowing through there because that oh, is they a
4: blow through it big time.
3: That looks like a fairly well set up. Now it does have the sign that just says crosswalk stop on red. It doesn't have the additional signage about you know a flashing stop and then proceed. But um, but it does have. It looks like it has everything, including um yeah our aps uh, button there and the pedestrian signal heads so i i don't know why the cars are having trouble with that one
4: it's kansas city <laughs> they feel so entitled people love their cars here
3: too it's much just, barbecue just... it's good barbecue
4: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah they like to eat barbecue while they're driving
2: i don't know sheila, how how, like that how, sheila how long has that signal been there that beacon there? oh
4: gosh um At least four or five years. It's not new. You know. I mean,
2: you know, there's usually an enforcement component to these things. Yeah, they. You know, I'm sure you're right. You know that the maybe it's a a matter of getting. Are you the only visually impaired pedestrian who crosses there? Um,
4: I no, but other people who work there cross there, and it's we talk about it all the time. And in the past, I have tried to engage the Kansas City PD. Um, in Crestworks sting efforts and things. And they're, they, they pretty much look at me and say, ma'am, we have better things to do in this town. Uh, it's just, you know, it's a culture thing, I guess. I wonder what the Thank better thing you have, you have 20 hands raised and five minutes for questions. Oh, I, I will be quiet. <laughs> Thank you very much for a wonderful presentation.
3: Thanks, Sheila. Hi, this
0: is Chris Bell. Thank you, uh, folks. So a um, couple of things for, with respect to getting accessible pedestrian signals in your, in your town or city, um, obviously you can request one. But w- the deal in, in Chicago in New York is that advocates went and got the information from the city that showed that you know they had 1,300 uh, inaccessible pedestrian signals and you know 15 accessible. And so basically what they were saying is, the system viewed as a whole is not accessible under the ADA. And I think that, that if, if you're in a major city, um, and I think Phoenix would be one, that uh, the local affiliate should consider doing these kind of systemic analyses because I think it makes for a fairly strong ADA case. Um, the other thing I want to say is there is federal money grant money that can be applied for So when a town says, I'm sorry, we don't have the money, the next question is, well, did you apply to the FHWA for funding? And the answer is usually gonna be no. Well, they can do that. So um, those would be my two comments and thanks for your time, gentlemen.
3: One quick comment there, Chris, thanks for that, is um, interestingly, uh, COVID has brought in COVID funds, right? And you wouldn't think you could tie that in with APS, but guess what, the city of Roanoke, put in our new touchless APS, um, bought enough for the whole city in this last year with COVID relief money. So because we added touchless capability to the APS, they were able to that makes perfect uh, get, sense. Yep. get that, that does funding. That makes
1: perfect sense. Yeah.
3: So it was yeah. kind of a win-win there for everybody, right? You got the full APS and, and the touchless. So, yep, COVID well, money. Well, there's
0: going to be infrastructure money, so people need to follow that. Exactly. And use that as a basis to advocate for
3: accessible
2: pedestrian signals. And the
1: Disability uh, the Data Act also um, there is a component to that if that gets passed about uh, accessible about uh, pedestrian safety and possibly accessible signals. Hi.
5: Well, my city has just gone absolutely bonkers putting in these various beacons um, because it's cheaper than putting in signals. Um, Am I correct that they can have locator tones? Yes. Okay, the, the other issue that has not been raised yet in terms of volume, um, Matt, walk around San Francisco. What happens is they install these and they're great. And then one-sided person goes, Wee! and they turn them all down so much that you can't find them. You can't find the locator tones. Just walk up and down Polk Street in San Francisco. We wouldn't even know they were there. And is there anything being done to help advocate for leaving the volume alone,
3: that's a good question. Um, it is does seem to be a little bit of a power play battle um, going on. We've we've definitely done better work with our microphones and and working on the ambient sound and with our newer systems because you have the traffic department has an app. They can actually stand six or twelve feet away and actually adjust that volume better than in the past, they basically were right at the button to to adjust it. So um, we have improved our um, working with the ambient sound and, and given more adjustment to that. So sometimes an agency or a contractor will just throw these things in and, and put them up at full volume. And then yes, you'll get residents complaining and then they take them down. But we do have a lot of volume adjustment and ability to, you know, have ambient response so sometimes it's just a matter of um training the traffic department which we're always happy to do in san francisco we've worked with them pretty well but again they've got a lot of systems and um you know i can see that you know it can be a challenge but there's there's definitely adjustability there and ways to work for a happy medium and and work with that
2: hi um hi veronica nice to hear you um the uh you know, years ago, I, I worked with uh, the city of some advocates, um, some of whom may be on this call, in Walla Walla, Washington, and um, they had uh, some signals in uh, right in the downtown area of Walla Walla, and the 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 traffic engineering department did a did a really phenomenal job of building housings for the APS that in my opinion, and I don't have any data to back this up, a more effective uh, job of actually protecting areas from the sound of the APS and channeling the sound of the APS out. It was a housing around the entire APS unit, as opposed to the solution of putting some kind of venting on the actual speaker. And, I, you know, I, <clears throat> this as APS become more and more common, uh, and I remember seeing this years ago in New York City, right, right around the lighthouse, where there were, there were napkins and stuff stuffed into the speakers because there's apartments directly above uh, the APS. And so I think this is going to become a bigger issue. Um, maybe motion detection uh, technology will refine itself so that the, the, the locator tone can be off until someone's within range. But I would encourage, and I don't know what you guys have done at Polaro or any of the other APS manufacturers, if there are indeed any other manufacturers, um, to do, a, do a, a housing approach to focusing sound uh, as opposed to the uh, a venting approach to focusing sound. To, uh, because as, as APS has become more common, this type of reaction is likely to, to also become more common.
3: That's, that's a good point, Lucas. That's something I uh, definitely think about. And I guess it's a good segue into just, you know, mentioning that we do have uh, a supplemental app now available to where um, it's called Pet App. It's downloadable in Android and, and um, the Apple Store, but it uh, can only work on our new systems that have our Bluetooth 5 chip in them. But basically you can be uh, walking up to a crossing and the app will then tell you, that uh, there's two buttons there and what the crossings are. And you can swipe and tap and select and our locate tone will increase for you to get to that specific button that you've um, uh, nominated. And so there is ways now to have that sound lower. And then for, for those that uh, you know have that uh, capability in that app, that's one way to, to do it. But we definitely, the housing, Um, Is an interesting concept. I'll talk to you some more about that, Lucas. But anyway, the Pet App will also allow you to choose what kind of um, feedback you want on your phone. So once you get within three feet of the button you've nominated, um, it will place the call and you'll hear the button say wait and your phone will tell you to wait. And then you've got the user settings to either rely on the button at that point and turn off your sounds and vibration on the phone for our device, or actually you can have our device tell you when the walk sign is on, it'll vibrate in your hand um, and give you countdown information if you want it, or you turn that off and you don't need to have it. So um, that's something new that we've uh, we've tested out with the Lighthouse of the Blind in San Francisco, and we've been um, having cities deploy uh, but it is something you'll need to ask for our latest INS product that has Bluetooth because obviously it's got to communicate with your Bluetooth phone and we program it for, for the intersection, but it's it's working very well and uh, we'll continue to, to improve that. So that's now available on the newest APS systems and, and the app for you is called Pet app. And there is a sighted version as well, that just allows a sighted pedestrian to, pick which button and actuate it from their phone so they don't have to touch the button either as far as COVID challenges. Yeah.
6: Becky, you have one minute to give. Okay,
1: all right. Well, thank you so much. Um, I would like to thank Lucas and Matt. You guys are awesome. And uh, I really appreciate your, your wisdom and uh, you're taking the time to join us. And hopefully we get to do it again um, in person even, that would be even better. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you also, um, Sheila and Tyson, for your work. And for all of you out there in the audience, keep advocating, keep talking, go to the Polara website, com, and uh, find that button and, and uh, request those APSs. Um, and again, thank you all so much.